here's how it can happen. You're standing in church, singing a worship song, and suddenly nothing makes sense anymore. Lyrics which formally seemed so profound that meant everything to you that stirred your heart now just seem like, like that, like words. The sermon, which once seemed challenging and inspiring and relevant, has dissolved into what seems like a mix of religious cliches and biblical examples that feel ancient and, and dusty and not relevant in any way to, to your context, to where you're standing in life. Prayer becomes dry and, and meaningless, like a duty. More than this, this is like intimate, life-giving relationship with God. Until suddenly you look around and you wonder why you've spent so many years of your life dedicated to following this thing called faith. And you ask yourself, like, what's wrong with me? Deep breaths. You, my friend, are experiencing a faith crisis, and it happens, and it's happening. Okay, in fact, in many ways, our culture is having a faith crisis. Canadian Christian magazine Faith Today reported in a January 2020 article that in one generation from roughly 1950 to the year 2000, regular church attendance dropped from two in three Sundays to just one in four Sundays. And trends have continued downward since then. This same article stated that if recent trends continue, one mainline denomination in our country is at risk of having zero members, zero attenders, and zero givers by the year 2040. Zero. That constitutes a crisis, I think. Okay, and this crisis of faith has not been helped by the fear, the confusion, the exhaustion, and the, the spiritual disconnect caused by COVID. Another recent article in the Washington Post said that possibly up to 50% of American church attenders may not return to gatherings, even if the government deems it safe to do so. And you might hear that and you might think, sure, but just because people aren't attending church, it doesn't mean that they're turning away from their faith in Christ. And, and that's true. It doesn't automatically mean that people are abandoning Christ, but research shows that once people drop in regular congregational gathering, whether in person or online, they rarely maintain their spirituality. We are created to be together, and it's, it's incredibly difficult to maintain a deep and meaningful journey with God alone and out of community. But that is what is happening in the lives of many people right now. And, and there's a lot on the line. 
You know, our faith is meant to be the, the guiding principle of our lives. So when our faith is in crisis, it matters. It just matters. Sociologist Reginald Bibby writes, it's as if a fire of secularization has devastated much of what, through the early 1960s, was a flourishing religious forest. There is a faith crisis happening today in culture and in the lives of many people. Perhaps you are going through a faith crisis right now. Okay, when you look back over the last 12 months during this COVID season, has your faith, has it flourished or has it floundered? Okay, maybe there's some things that you were once so certain of and you're just not so certain anymore. Maybe like the passion that you once had in following Jesus has waned and it feels like you're just kind of kind of going through the motions spiritually. Well, our series is called Questions and maybe you have some unanswered questions and they've left you wondering Maybe you, you are right on the edge of like walking away from your faith, the faith that you once held onto with such conviction. Maybe that's you today, a crisis of faith. It can be serious. It's happening in the lives of many people right now as we speak, but it's not new. It's not new. Turn in your Bible or on your device to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Once again, our series is called Questions, and we aren't necessarily looking at the questions that we might ask of God. What we are doing is we're considering questions that God asks us, specifically the questions that Jesus used as a primary method of spiritual transformation in his teaching. Jesus asked questions to lead people on a quest of self-discovery. And we're looking at some of those questions in our series. And in John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus actually asks just such a question. And he asked it to his disciples. Listen to the question. You don't want to leave too, do you? Okay, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And see, the context of this question involves a crisis of faith. Let me set the context for us. Jesus was at the peak of his popularity up until now in his public ministry. His following had reached like unparalleled levels. This was a rare error for a spiritual leader. Inspirational teaching, a string of incredible miracles. This like astounding connection with his surrounding culture. Finally, somebody that, that gets me, Jesus, it all led to this really, really feel good place. The people that were following Jesus were on like a spiritual high, the mountaintop. They were passionate. They were dedicated. They were following Jesus wherever he went. In his travels, they were hanging on to every word Jesus said. They couldn't get enough. Jesus. 
until crisis. In verse 51 of John 6, Jesus begins to teach an unpopular message. Okay, he's, he starts to talk about how he was the living bread that had come down from heaven and how whoever eats this bread, which Jesus describes as his flesh, will live forever. And the Jews that were listening to this message, they are deeply offended by his teaching. They're thinking like, literally like cannibalism. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then it only gets worse. In verse 53, Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, this has gone too far. There, there is nothing more offensive that you could say to a good Jew. They, they had strict dietary rules and eating of flesh and drinking of human blood. It wasn't exactly in their rule book. And they're deeply confused and deeply offended. In verse 60 of chapter six, it says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Okay, things have suddenly turned a corner spiritually. Their spiritual enthusiasm isn't quite where it was when Jesus was teaching them what they wanted to hear. Just, just for clarification, Jesus was not, in fact, promoting cannibalism. The reference that Jesus makes here to eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it's, it's a metaphorical way of describing the person who, who draws on and claims and lays hold of the reality of his atoning sacrifice by putting their personal faith in him. Jesus is talking about what it means to be in Christ. But the problem is the crowds were not using their, their spiritual ears we know that because in verse 63, Jesus says, you don't get it because the words that I'm speaking to you are from the Holy Spirit and you folks are listening with, with like your fleshly carnal ears. But alas, the crowd still don't get it. Enter a crisis of faith. Verse 66. It's an important verse. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Okay, it's at this point in the story, in the narrative in verse 67, we get the question that Jesus asked his remaining disciples. And it's the question of our focus today. You do not want to leave too, do you? Okay, just imagine this scene for a second. The crowds have bailed. They've vamoosed. They've abandoned Jesus, and Jesus turns to his original 12 disciples, his friends, and he says, so what about you? What about you? Are you leaving too? This is, this is a, a pertinent and relevant question for us today 
Don't miss it. This is a pivotal moment in the lives of these men, his disciples. Like who knows how they were feeling as they they watched the last of, of the massive departing crowd disappear over the hillside in the distance until it was just them standing there. See, one moment, they're part of the inner circle of the biggest celebrity preacher on the planet. Like, hi, I'm, I'm Bartholomew, part of the 12. Maybe you've heard of me. And the next morning, they're feeling pretty alone. Oh, it's, it's just us. Like, who knows if they even understood the teaching that Jesus just dropped. And how they answer this question, are you going to leave too? This question and how they answer it will determine the course of the rest of their lives. It's a pivotal moment. And amid the awkward silence and the nervous shuffling of feet, Peter who seems to be the one who answers most of Jesus' tough questions. Remember that kid in school who always had the answer whenever the teacher asked a question? Oh, I know, I know. Okay, that's Peter. Peter bails them out by giving the most amazing answer to Jesus' question. What about you guys? Are are, are you leaving too? Listen to Peter's answer in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And so the question of the day, the question of our time is how do we answer like Peter? Okay, when when a, a crisis of faith comes, and it will come, when confusion sets in, when the lessons get hard, when our own reason and our culture, the, the, the culture around us seems to just make more sense than our faith. How do we stay faithful? If Jesus were to look at us and say, do you want to leave too? How about you? Like, how do we answer like Peter? Jesus, where else could we go? Jesus, only you have the answer for what our our, our souls need. Only you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, only you. I, I think this text, this story, it really helps us with some of those those answers. Okay, firstly, we don't follow Jesus because of what he can do for us. We follow Jesus because of who he is to us. Let me say that again. We don't follow Jesus because of what he can do for us, but we follow Jesus because of who he is to us. See, let's take a look at this crowd that experience this crisis of faith and their motivation for following Jesus in the first place. We see it in verses 26 and 27 of John 6. It reveals their motivation. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I've performed, 
but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, Jesus had just fed this crowd. All 5,000 of them earlier in the chapter. And he knows why they kept following him because of what he gave them, lunch. And Jesus says in verse seven, don't follow me for the temporary things that I can do for you, but think eternally. Follow me because God has placed his seal of approval on me. Not because of what I can do, but because of who I am. Listen, what's our motivation for following Jesus today? Yeah, absolutely. Following Jesus is so rewarding. And in his mercy, God gifts us with all these incredible mercies. He does, absolutely. But please know, Jesus would still be worthy of us following him even if we didn't get anything from him. But simply because of who he is, we follow Jesus because of his personhood, not our prosperity. You see, Jesus is infinitely valuable. The entire book of Ecclesiastes essentially reads as like a manifesto of a man who set out to discover whether or not life had any pleasure to offer that was greater than God. And he came up empty. And so will we, because there are none. Jesus is so valuable. He's so satisfying that he is worth everything we could ever hope for, everything we could ever possess. The Apostle Paul got this. See, following Jesus for Paul, it didn't get him lunch. It got him beatings. It got him jail time. If anyone was a candidate for a crisis of faith, if anybody was a candidate to to be with the crowd that abandoned Jesus, it might have been Paul. But listen to how he describes his faith in Philippians 3.8. I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ Absolutely, Jesus fills our lives with incredible benefit. But you know, we, we, we actually do people, we do them an injustice when we try to convince people to follow Jesus solely on what they can get from him rather than because of, of who he is. You know, we, we live in such a performance culture Okay, where we, we base all our value on what people do, right? If, if, our, if our favorite athlete has a dip in performance, we, we look for a new favorite athlete. If our favorite musician has like a creative dry spell, we, we abandon them for the next flavor of the month. It's kind of how we're wired. And if we, we follow Jesus solely on what we can get, solely on how we feel he is performing for us in the moment, like that crowd that turned away from him on that hillside when his teaching got difficult, when life gets hard, we will experience a crisis of faith if that's our motivation. 
It's why Jesus warned us himself to count the cost before we followed him. Following Jesus comes with unimaginable blessing and it also comes with cost. Andrew actually talked about that last Sunday when he talked about the method of sacrifice at that table. Following Jesus comes with cost. C.S. Lewis once said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You know, following Jesus can be hard, but we don't often hear messages like, hey, you want to follow Jesus? Let me tell you a few things. Be prepared to stop living independently. Okay, get ready to embrace a life of submission. And yet Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anybody loves me, he'll keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Or we don't often hear messages like, follow Jesus? Well, be prepared to endure hardships. But following Christ doesn't just make hardships a possibility. It makes it, in fact, a guarantee. There will be times when the world won't accept you because of your faith in Jesus. It's just a fact. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Like, I don't know. Here's a selling point for following Jesus. Be, be prepared to come face to face with the ugliness of your sin. How fun does that sound? But walking with Jesus, it means seeing the sin that he reveals and confronting it and asking for forgiveness. Or, or what about ready to follow Jesus? Get ready to leave your comfort zone and, and take some risks. Get ready for some risky things. But, but Christians are called to seek justice and defend the helpless and serve the poor. That's just a part of our calling as followers of Jesus, and none of these commands can be accomplished by sitting quietly in our homes. You will be challenged sometimes when you're scared or intimidated or uncomfortable to speak up for those that do not have a voice. Geez, Jay, you're really, you're really selling this Christianity thing. Thanks. It's just that, that God's desire for us to worship Christ, to become like Christ, it's greater than our desires for ourselves. And the point is we are called to seek Jesus' face, not his hands. He is worthy because of who he is, not simply because what we can get Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5.12, God himself calls Jesus worthy. And when we worship Jesus as worthy, we are saying that he is infinitely valuable. His value has no limit. He is the pearl of great 
price. He is the most precious thing we could ever possess. In this age or, or in the age to come, nothing compares. To have Christ is to have everything. Him. Not what he can give us. See, truly seeing the glory of Christ, it will help us through any crisis of faith. Can we, we also need to remember that Jesus offers you friendship, not a to-do list. See, religion will lead to a crisis of faith. It just will. His primary offer, the, the offer that Jesus gives us is an abiding, satisfying relationship, not an exhausting, soul-sucking religion. See, a life of faith that's dependent on our own efforts, our own abilities to measure up, to check spiritual boxes, will always lead to a crisis of faith. It always has. Might be today, might be tomorrow, but if this thing is on us, it will run out. Okay, look at verse 28 and 29 of the text. Then they asked him, this is the crowd speaking, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, it's simple. Believe in the one he sent. That's it. It's not about what you do. See, the spiritual experience of this Jewish crowd up until this point in their lives was completely dependent on themselves, their ability to follow the customs, their ability to follow the regulations laid out by the religious leaders. And now Jesus is telling them, it's actually not about believing in your own abilities. It's about believing in mine the peace that your soul so desperately craves, it won't be found in what you can do. It'll only be found in what, in, in what I will do. And you know, I just think like that crowd that day, so often when people begin exploring faith in Jesus, they're, they're kind of looking for something to follow rather than someone to follow. That's a big difference. Often when people start you know, showing an interest or pursuing faith, it's because there's been a, a crisis point in their life and they're looking for help and they're looking for advice and they're looking for structure. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but sometimes they're just looking for somebody to tell them what to do. Just give me the list of what will make me feel better and I'll follow it. And the problem is that list just keeps getting longer. But Jesus offers so much more than a list of do's and don'ts. He offers us friendship. Okay, it's, it's a part of what he was talking about in this very teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but the crowd didn't get it. They wanted the works that God requires. Jesus, just give us the to-do list. instead of friendship with the one that God sent. He calls us into a deep identification with himself. He wants to be involved in the deepest, most intimate places in your heart. 
He wants to be involved in the places that we keep secret, the places that we keep people at an arm's length. He, he wants us to know him. So in the tough times, we will trust him. But if we don't know him, if our faith is just about duty and religion, when the tough times come, we will walk away. Jesus wants a, rela- a relationship with you. And yeah, relationships can be hard. We know that. Think of, the, think of the closest relationships in your life. There are times of misunderstanding and, and times of incredible connection, aren't there? There are seasons where maybe you feel a little bit distant and then seasons where you just feel close and intimate. There's circumstances and relationships that stretch us and make us feel uncomfortable. But there's also those seasons where we just feel really comfortable. But you wouldn't give up those relationships for anything. Jesus calls us into something so much deeper, so much better than following a list of rules. And if we start following him as as a religion, as our goal, when we hit a crisis of faith, we will turn. You know, I recently had a conversation with a friend. And, and like, he was really struggling in his faith. Like, really struggling. It would be accurate to call it a crisis. He'd been, like a, a, he'd been a Christian for a little while. And it started out great. But as he continued to try and follow Jesus, he fell into the trap of like trying to measure up, trying to get it right, trying to say the right things, trying to do the right things, trying to tick the right boxes, or at least the boxes that he thought people wanted him to tick. And as a result, his faith was starting to suffer. In fact, you could, you could say it was in crisis. And as the conversation continued, he looked at me and said, Jay, I don't know. I just thought being a Christian would be a lot more joyful. See, religion will do that to a person. It will steal their joy. Thank God Jesus offers us so much more. Okay, if, if, you're, if your faith life is about following a to-do list, if you're trusting in your own ability to be good and, and, and not falling on the grace of God, a crisis is inevitable. Okay, and lastly, to help us prevent or, or maybe just even navigate a crisis of faith in our lives, we need to remember this is a marathon, not a sprint. See, a life following Jesus is a journey. It's not an event. But the crowd didn't see it that way. Look at verses 14 and 15 of John 6. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. See, the crowd that would soon abandon Jesus, they were looking for a king who would deliver them in that moment from the oppression of the Roman Empire. 
This is it. Jesus is here. This is the guy. This is the time. This is the moment. Rather than a savior who would journey with them through the ups and downs of life and that would one day, a journey that would one day result in, in not just a temporal kingdom, but in an eternal kingdom. But they wanted staggering, immediate deliverance. They wanted an event. They wanted a moment. And Jesus was offering them a journey. And I think many people who experience a crisis of faith, it's because it's for the same reason. They're looking for a now moment. They're looking for a staggering supernatural experience or an immediate fix to their problems. And and sometimes God does that. But the problem is when, when that experience ends, or when their problems come back, problems backfill. <laughs> they turn away from Jesus. Like, I want it now, Jesus. Do something now. But God calls us into a lifelong journey with himself. And like any journey that we take, think about the journeys that you've experienced in your life. Faith is no different. It will involve changing seasons. Twists and turns along the way, ups and downs. Okay, you're you're going to have these, these stages of faith of like encounter where Jesus' presence in your life is like palatable. You have these deep and spectacular spiritual experiences. Awesome. But you will likely have seasons of, uh, where like just belonging or being a part of a loving uh, Christian community is like the biggest part of your faith life. Awesome. You're going to have seasons when the emphasis of your faith is maybe about serving, like practically making a difference in your church or your community, like getting involved, putting like your hands to the work. Awesome. And you will, you, you'll likely have seasons of melting. Those times when doubts set in about your faith, maybe because of disappointments, unmet expectations, maybe, maybe another follower of, of Christ hurts you or offends you, and you're like, if this is what this is all about, like, I, won't, I don't know if I want any part of this. It's often at that stage in the journey that we, we do abandon Christ like, like the crowds. And sometimes you'll experience all of these stages like at the same time. The point is that it's normal in every journey to walk through challenging and encouraging seasons. You know, the journey of God's people in Exodus from slavery to the promised land, you want to read about ups and downs and twists and turns. What a wonderful allegory of our journey in faith. In every journey, there's the hard and exhausting work of trudging through the everyday. And there are these moments of exhilaration when we visit the most beautiful scenery imaginable. And hey, I don't don't know what stage you're at like today. I I would imagine that some of you are in a, a sweet spot spiritually, if I could say that, awesome, celebrate with you. 
But I know for many people these days, particularly this last 12 months, if you are being honest, your spiritual life has suffered. It just has. It just has. A lack of consistent meeting together in community with other believers, fear, isolation, distraction from other things that have stolen your affection from Christ. Maybe, maybe doubts and, and fears, maybe all of that has led you maybe to the edge of a crisis of faith. Like you feel yourself today more in the crowd that abandoned Jesus than you do of the 12 who stayed and said, no, no, Jesus, only you have the words of eternal life. Maybe that's you. And if that is you, I, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You can allow this moment, this crisis, to be a defining moment in your life. Eugene Peterson, in his book that describes the journey that I've been talking about of faith, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which I think is an amazing title. He said, the reason many of us do not ardently believe the gospel is that we have never given it a rigorous testing. Thrown our hard questions at it and faced it with our most prickly doubts. Subjected. What he's saying is a crisis of faith can sometimes even strengthen our faith if we'll let it. Listen, Jesus is still worth following. Just because of who he is, Jesus is still full of worth. Jesus is still worth following because he's the only one who offers us friendship and not religion. There is no friend like Jesus. We can stop looking. And Jesus is still worth following because only he can take us on this redemptive, lifelong journey that eventually leads to the destination we've been looking for all along. Peter knew it. Lord, where else could we go? If you are on the mountaintop this morning with Jesus, if you're in a good place, listen, would you invite somebody else up the mountain with you? Because you likely know someone who's struggling in their faith. Like, in, invite them to, to church, to one of our in-person gatherings. Invite them to, to watch a service online. Just check up, hold each other accountable, say, it's hard, I get it, but it's worth it. I'm with you, I stand with you. I just think in this moment, in this season, it is critical for many people. The last 12 months has hurt you spiritually and you might not consider yourself in crisis, but you might not be far off. And the decisions that you make regarding your faith now will directly impact your future. 
You're at a turn or stay moment. You need to stay. Get back in spiritual community, be it in person or online. Get back to making your faith walk a priority, to making Jesus your priority. If you've drifted, swim back to Jesus with everything that you have. And I I can assure you, if your passion for Jesus has faded, his passion for you has not. It's as intense as it ever was. He burns for you. He's as worthy as he's ever been, the unchanging king of glory. And he's waiting with open arms to welcome you home. Would you pray with me? Father, this last 12 months, as you know, has been hard. It has taken a toll on families, on relationships, economically, but most important, spiritually. It's been hard. We've been separated from each other. We've, we've medicated ourselves with things of this world other than turning to you. Because sometimes, God, it just seems easier and they're, they're tangible, they're here. And sometimes you feel distant. But God, today in this moment, God, I pray for those that are on the edge of a crisis of faith that really don't know what tomorrow brings. That you would remind them of how great you are, of that moment of first love. of the freedom that you brought to their hearts, of the healing that you did in their lives, of the purpose that you gave them, the destiny that you gave them. None of that's changed, God. And I pray there would be a turning back to you for those folks. That in this moment, they would say, Jesus, I am coming back. And I thank that, you, that we, we can come back without judgment. You welcome us back with love. God, the wanderer, the prodigal, the doubter, the fearful, welcome them home this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, because he is worthy. Amen.